Well, let's turn to James chapter 4. We're going to be studying verses 13 through 17. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. And in this passage, James talks about how we all make plans. So we're all planning people. You have plans for this afternoon, I'm assuming, right? You have plans for this summer. You have plans for the next couple of years. So we all make plans. But in this passage, James says that there are four crucial words, four crucial words that we should use whenever we're planning because those words will, if we use them, free us from pride. Those words will strengthen our faith. Those words will fill us with peace. And those words will bring glory to God. Four crucial words to use whenever we make our plans. So what are those four crucial words? You're all wondering. Let's take a look. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Here's what James says. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, here's the four words, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance making plans as described in verse 13. As it is, you boast in your arrogance planning that way. All such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So let's start by asking, what were James' readers doing? And he tells us right there in verse 13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade, make a profit. So James' readers were making plans. Okay, we talked before about how they had fled from Jerusalem because of persecution up into the northern Syria area. So they were thinking about making plans. How are they going to support their families? We're going to go to such and such a town. We'll work there for a year as expats, right? We're going to do business, make a profit, and then we'll come on home. So they were making plans. We also make plans, just like they did. Okay, so you might be saying, well, tonight we're going to drive out to the desert, we're going to have a barbecue, some friends, and then we're going to come back home tonight. So, making plans. And that's how we all talk when we make plans. Just like they do in verse 13, just like we do thinking about a barbecue tonight, that's how we all talk when we make plans. And that sounds fine to us to plan that way. But James says it's not fine to plan that way. There's something deeply wrong with making our plans that way. There's a problem with talking that way when we make plans. So what's the problem with that kind of planning? James tells us in verse 14. Now read verse 13 and 14 together to get the flow of thought. Verse 13, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So as I studied verse 14, I think James wants us to understand that there's two problems with that kind of planning. The first problem, he mentions it right there at the beginning of verse 14. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know the future. Hey, you don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. You don't know what's going to happen tonight or this summer or in the next couple of years. Don't know the future. That's our problem. So I remember one summer, this is back when we were in the States, when our kids were like 8 and 10 years old. This is a long time ago. And we were going to make a trip to the Grand Canyon, Arizona. Who's been to the Grand Canyon, Arizona? And then after that day in the Grand Canyon, we were going to drive to Jan's parents' home in northern Arizona, spend some time with them a couple hours away. So this was our, our plan. We had a plan. This is what we're going to do. But we didn't know the future. So we had the day in Grand Canyon, wonderful day, incredible place, got into our car, couple hour drive, and about halfway to Jan's parents' house, all of a sudden the dashboard lights started doing all kinds of strange things. If I remember right, the car lost power. Did it stall or just lose power? I think it lost power significantly. Thankfully, like there's one kind of town, village between the Grand Canyon and Jan's parents, and that's right where this happened, thank you, Lord. So we kind of coasted off the freeway, coasted right into a gas station, Car stopped there, a little hotel there. So instead of spending that night with Jan's parents, we stayed there, took two days. It ended up being our, our water pump had cracked. So it took two days to get it delivered to that little town in Arizona. We stayed there in that area for two days. Anyway, the point is we had our plans. Grand Canyon, Jan's parents that night. We didn't know the future. And that's true with all of us when we make plans. We don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen a week from now, a year from now, five years from now. We don't know the future. So that's one problem with making plans the way James describes here. The second problem mentioned at the second half, last half of verse 14. Look at what he says. What is your life? I mean, just think about your life. You are a mist. So here's an analogy he's using. You're like a mist, like a little fog bank, little cloud. You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So not only do we not know what tomorrow will bring, we really don't even know if we will be here tomorrow. So James wants us to understand. See, we are fragile Health is fragile. Life is fragile. It's about 10 years ago, I was sitting at the kitchen table in our house in the States. My wife was there, and all of a sudden, I started to feel numb on the left side of my face and numb and tingly in my left arm and just started to feel very strange. And I told Jan, and we, she called a nurse friend of ours who said, well, you should take Steve to the hospital. Went to the hospital. They ran some tests. Their conclusion was I'd had this like a, a stroke. It was a real, like a little stroke, but it was a stroke. Did some more tests. They found out that I, I had been born with a hole in my heart, which was causing, which had caused that stroke. Uh, I mean, they patched it up. Thank you, Lord. A, a little piece of high-tech fabric in my heart is kind of a strange thing to think about. But see, the point is we are fragile. Health is fragile. When you're healthy, you feel like plans, right? You, you got it. I mean, even just like the flu, ah, ah, I'm dying, right? 
We're fragile. Something as small as the flu can like totally wig us out. We're fragile. So James is pointing out two problems with making plans this way. One is that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. The second problem is we don't even know if we'll be here tomorrow. And to help us see how fragile we are, he says we're like a mist. Like a mist, a little, a little cloud. I mean, think of, of a little mist. I mean, you're no, more, you're no more permanent than a little cloud that, like, if, you know, fog here in Abu Dhabi, it's here in the morning and it's oftentimes burns off by noon. So James has in mind. I mean, imagine a little, a little cloud saying, I'm going to head up to Dubai this afternoon and then maybe head over to Fujairah. I really like hanging out there. Okay, now why would that be foolish for a little cloud to say? Well, because the cloud doesn't decide where it wants to go. The wind moves the cloud where it wants it to go, right? And the cloud doesn't decide how long it's going to be anywhere. That depends on how hot the sun is that day. You're like a mist. That's what James is talking about here. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't even know that we will be here tomorrow. And yet we say things like, we're going to drive out to the desert. We're going to have a barbecue. And we're going to come back home tonight. So those are two problems with planning. So are you feeling those problems? You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't even know if you'll be here tomorrow. So what should we do then? Just not plan at all? That's not what James says. He doesn't say we should stop planning. He says we should plan. We should plan. Okay, we all clear on that? Don't stop planning. We should plan, but in a different way. How should we make plans? Verse 15. Instead, that is, instead of planning, according to verse 13, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Again, notice, James does not want us to stop planning. But he urges us that when we make plans to say these four words, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You know, why say that? It's because everything in our lives depends on God's will. Everything in our lives depends on God's will. What we do depends on God willing it. Anything we accomplish depends on, on God willing that we accomplish it. Everything in our lives, everything depends on God's will. And that's what we should say, if the Lord wills. Now, the doctrine that James is talking about here is the doctrine of God's sovereignty. It's important that we, we lay down foundations of biblical doctrines, the doctrine of God's sovereignty, that, that everything in our lives and everything in the world, everything in the universe is under God's will. Now, this doctrine of God's sovereignty, absolutely crucial that we understand it, but it raises lots of questions. So you'll have some questions after this morning, and that's a good thing. Grace Church, we want to have questions be raised up where we're opening up the scriptures together seeking the answers to our questions. The scriptures will answer many, many of our questions, talking about that together in our home groups. So let the questions rise up, talk about them. I'd be happy to talk to you more about them. So lots of questions, and we welcome questions. But not only does the doctrine of God's sovereignty raise questions, it also can stir some emotional pain. Because I would guess some of you have experienced heartbreaking trials. And maybe you are like right now, heartbreaking trials, and you can wonder, 
if God is in control, why did he allow this? Why did this happen? I thought he was good. I thought he was loving. And so God's sovereignty can not just raise questions, but it can stir some emotional pain. I mean, like Jan and I, we first had to wrestle with this question, this is way back, um, when we were first married, and we soon discovered that we were not able to get pregnant. And that was very hard for us, very sad for us, disappointing time for us. But we opened the scriptures, said, God, what, are you in control of this? What, are you good? Are you sovereign over this too? And what we saw in the scriptures is that God is always, he's in control of everything. He was in control of our ability or inability to get pregnant. We saw that God is wise in everything he does. He's good in everything he does. He's loving in everything that he does. And he does allow us lovingly, wisely, kindly, mercifully, he does allow his people to go through trials, hard times, always to bring beautiful good to us. And he brought us by adoption, Anna and Brad. Brad's now 27, Anna's 30. We could not imagine life without Anna and Brad. They are the most amazing kids. Some of you have met Anna. You'll meet Brad soon, we hope. But so this was the time when we first had to wrestle with God's sovereignty and our trials, and is he in control of trials, and if so, why? And we found great comfort. And I hope that some of you will find great comfort even right now this morning. Some of you who maybe are going through heartbreaking trials right now, or you have, but as you see that, yes, God is in control, and he's always wise, and he's always loving, and he's always kind. And when he allows hard things to happen, it's because in his love, he's going to bring us great good. More nearness to him, for sure. He promises that always. More, more joy in him, more closeness with him. And he's doing many other things at the same time. So this is the doctrine of God's sovereignty. Now, what I want to show you is a couple different scriptures, because I, I want to dig deep so that we'll, when we say, if the Lord wills, it'll like have some meat to it, some, some oomph to it. It won't just be a cliche, but it's like, whoa. So let's look at a couple passages. I want to show you that God is in total control of seemingly random events. Okay, look at Proverbs 16.33. This is a shocking verse. Seemingly random events, like the breaking of a water pump, or even the throw of a dice. Proverbs 16.33, here's what we read. The lot, that's like the dice back in Bible times, is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Now that is a shocking verse. Roll the dice, throw the dice, comes up snake eyes, two ones. God said, snake eyes. It's going to be snake eyes. My snake eyes, there it is. So no roll of the dice is random. Every roll of the dice is under God's control. So how much more every detail of your life? Everything in your life is under God's will, depends on God's will, even the roll of the dice. Another example that God is in sovereign control over how other people affect our lives. 
people can bring great blessing into our lives, but people can also cause great pain in our lives. Okay? But think about Joseph. He's, he's my go-to example for this. Joseph, whose brothers terribly, terribly harmed him. Remember the story? They sold him into slavery, into Egypt, ended up being in a dungeon for years in Egypt. So the brothers terribly harmed him, sold him as a slave into Egypt. And yet God ordained that in order to bring about incredible good, to feed the people of Israel, because there was a famine. So Israel was fed because of this Famine through Joseph. Joseph ended up being the number two man in all of Egypt in charge of all the dispersal of food. So Israel got taken care of, which meant that his people continued, which meant the Messiah would survive and be born right down a thousand, hundreds of years down the road. So Joseph knew that his brothers did great evil. But look at what he says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph knew that ultimately God was in control of what his brothers did. He says, as for you, speaking to his brothers... You meant evil against me. So he knew they did evil. It's a true statement. They meant evil against him. But that's not the whole picture. If you focus just on that, you could become hopeless. It's part of the picture, not the whole picture. Another crucial part of the picture is what he says next. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So Joseph was sold into slavery, the pits of the dungeon, and then he was elevated to become the number two man in Egypt so that all of Israel would be fed. Brothers meant it for evil. God meant that for good. And so God is in complete control of how our lives are affected by other people. Even when hard things happen, listen, it's not hopeless. God's not out of control. God's not wringing his hands worried. Trust him. God may be weeping with you while this happens, but he's ordained it to bring you great good. It's coming. Good is coming. Hope in God. Let's talk about sickness, how our lives are affected by sickness. God's in sovereign control over disease and sickness. That's why Jan and I prayed that we could get pregnant years ago, because he's sovereign over that. We pray, we ask God to heal because God can heal. God can supernaturally heal people, just like that, miraculously. We see it in Jesus' life. We see it in the early church. You've experienced this. I'm sure we have. God heals people supernaturally, but not always. Sometimes in his love and his wisdom and his mercy, he chooses not to heal. I think that's what was going on with Paul's thorn in the flesh. I think that was probably a physical ailment. Paul prayed three times, God, remove this from me. Please take this away from me. And, and look at what God answers him. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now, why would Paul plead to the Lord about this? It's because God's in control of whatever it was. Right? If God said, it's going to leave, would it leave? Absolutely. God just says the word, no more thorn in the flesh. That's why Paul says, Father, please take this away because God's in complete control. But he said to me, my grace, Paul, is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And here's Paul's conclusion. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'll I'll, I'll embrace this weakness. I'll embrace this thorn in the flesh with all the weakness that it means for me because Christ is going to be glorified. I'm going to know more of his strength, more of his grace, more of his nearness. To have Christ is worth any thorn in the flesh. Yes, Lord. But the point I want you to see is that God was in complete control over that thorn in the flesh, which is why Paul prayed that God would remove it. So God's sovereign, his his will, everything in our lives, the roll of the dice, water pumps, what other people do, sickness, it's all under God's will. One more scripture on that point. Look at Psalm 139, 16. God is in sovereign control of every day of our lives and even how many days we are alive. Psalm 139, 16. This would be a good verse for you to memorize. David says, talking to the Lord God, your eyes, your eyes, God, saw my unformed substance that is in the womb while his mom was pregnant with him. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. There's a book. Your days are written in that book. The number of your days is written in that book. Now, that raises lots of questions, right? Just let them come. But this is what God's word says, all right? In your book were written. God is in control of our lives. He's in control of our days, even the length of our days. It's an amazing truth about God. And see, that's why James encourages us to say, if the Lord wills, I will live or do this or that. Does that, those four words mean a little more to you now that we've looked at some of these scriptures? If the Lord wills. God is in complete control of the roll of the dice, what other people do, sickness, every day of my life, the number of days. He's in complete control over everything. So it's absolutely true. It's if the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. I mean, just this morning, I was... In my stairs, got out on my knees and said, okay, okay, Lord, if you will, I'm going to preach this morning. And it, it, it's like, wow, it meant more to me, I think, than maybe ever before. That's so true. I, this is entirely in God's hands, and here I am. He willed it, okay? I'm really thankful. But it's so powerful. It so humbles us. It so strengthens our faith. It so brings us peace. And it so glorifies God to say, if the Lord wills. Now, one question you may have is, okay, so if if everything is up to God's will, then like, so Sunday morning, beginning of the workday, I get up, it's like, okay, so if God wills me to go to work, I'll go. I'm not feeling it today. Nice. Okay, that's not what James is saying. Sorry. That's not what he's saying, okay? He says, you say, if the Lord wills, I will live, and I will do this, and I will do that. So what we need to do is open up the Bible, make our plans in sync with God's word, okay? If you do not work, you should not eat. Okay, there it is. Time to go to work. Yes, Lord. All right, here we go. Okay, if the Lord wills, though, I I will go to work today. 
So we're not sitting around waiting for God to, no, no, no. We, we move, we choose, we work, we make real responsible choices. We're not robots. We, we make choices, but in all of that, God is doing it all. If the Lord wills, I will live or do this or do that. That's what James wants us to understand. Everything in your life is under God's will. Now, let me tell you why that is fantastic news. Why that truth should just fill you with peace today. It's because God's word reveals to us, and Jesus on the cross and with his resurrection reveals to us that the God whose will rules everything, he's good. He's loving. He is so compassionate and kind. And the cross shows that most clearly. Because we've all sinned against God. We all deserve punishment rightly from God. Justly, rightly, we deserve to be punished by God. But God loves us. Cares about us. Has compassion towards us. And did something heartbreakingly costly. He sent his son. He didn't spare his son. He delivered his son to the cross. And as Jesus was in absolute agony on the cross, it was the father punishing my sin, punishing your sin upon the sinless Jesus. Look at the picture of how much God cares for you that he would send his son. And look at Jesus' love for you, the fact that he would go and head to the cross, and suffer in that way to pay for our sins. So you see the Father revealed in sending Jesus. You see Jesus revealed in the cross. You see love. You see compassion. You see goodness. And so never doubt that God's plans for you are loving, are kind. And here's why. Because, the, because of what Jesus did on the cross, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you confess your sin before God and say, I turn and I trust you now, Jesus Christ, to forgive me. I trust you to change me. I trust you to fill and satisfy me. At that moment, all of your sins are forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. All of your sins. Never will you face punishment from God, ever. Quite the contrary. At that point, God now is rejoicing over you to do you good with all his heart and all his soul. You know how big God's heart and soul is? And if God's heart and soul is rejoicing over you to do you good, that means almighty, all-powerful God is pursuing you with incredible good because of what Jesus did for you. That doesn't mean your life will be free from trials. But every trial is a wise, loving gift of God's goodness. He's going to bring you more of himself. He's going to bless you in incredible ways. The day will come when you will fall at, your, fall at his feet in heaven and thank him for every trial that came your way. Thank you for that one, yes. And, and thank you for that one, yes. Because of all that you've seen him bringing you in himself and all the ripple effect of that trial that it's had, you'll thank him. And now this side of seeing that, we trust. We trust. We look at the cross. We look at the resurrection. And we trust. The fact that God is good, the fact that God is loving, 
the fact that the cross happened at great cost to God the Father, to God the Son, should fill us with peace, the fact that this God is in control of my life. And he's rejoicing over me to do me good for the rest of my life through eternity with all his heart, with all his soul. That's why this is good news. And that's why when we plan, what should we say? If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. Now, just one implication of this I want to mention. See, Jan thought I should mention this. She's absolutely right. Let's not talk about luck anymore. Okay? There is no such thing as good luck. There's God's goodness and wisdom. But don't, don't call it good luck. That cuts God out of the picture. So, so don't wish each other good luck. Okay? Say, God bless you. Or something like that. Okay? I'm praying for you. All right? So no more good luck wishing. And, and no more when bad things happen say, oh, it's just bad luck. Good luck is God's goodness and wisdom, or excuse me, what you call good luck isn't good luck. It's God's goodness and wisdom. And what we can call bad luck for those who are trusting Christ isn't bad luck. It's also God's goodness and wisdom. Does that make sense? If we talk about luck, we dishonor God, or, or, or at best, we miss an opportunity to honor God. So let's, let's have our language reflect who God is, all right? Aren't you glad Jan wanted me to talk about that? It's so helpful. I am. Four simple words, if the Lord wills. Now, the point isn't some legalistic, like, you didn't say it. I I didn't hear you say it. It's not a legalistic, like, say the four words. Saying the words helps. But the point isn't, it's not like a magic formula. The point is to mean and believe something in our hearts. Saying it helps. Okay, let me me illustrate this for you. Let's let's try an experiment. (laughs) Okay, so say to yourself, just quietly, and, and to yourself, this afternoon, I'm going out to lunch, and I'm going to the mall. Okay, so just go ahead and say that quietly to yourself. This afternoon, I'm going out to lunch, and I'm going to the mall. Okay, now, think about what was just in your heart. Were you thinking about God? No, probably, okay? Unless you knew where I was going with this, okay? So you weren't thinking about God. Uh, are, you, are you humble before God? Probably not. Are you depending upon God regarding your plans? Probably not. Right? Okay, now, let's change it. Meaningfully, to yourself, say, if the Lord wills. And think about God, that everything in your life is under his will. If the Lord wills, I will go to lunch and then go to the mall. So just say that to yourself. Now, are you thinking about God? Yes, you are. Are you humbled before God? Yes, it's not just me. This is up to God. Are you depending upon God? Yes, I think so. Do you see how that works? So it's not just words to say. It's truths to believe. Truths to feel. So it's not a legalistic four words, but saying the words helps. I'm going to try to say those words more now. Be more consciously intentionally, because I want to be aware of God. I want to be humble before God. I want my faith to be strengthened. I want to be at peace about the future. I don't want to be arrogant or boastful. Four simple words. Okay, they'll 
fill us with peace. They'll strengthen our faith. They'll humble our hearts and they'll glorify God. Now, one last question. Why is it so important to plan with this truth in our hearts? Verses 16 and 17. James says, as it is, that is, if you make your plans according to verse 13, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. I mean, we're little clouds of mist. That's what we are. I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go do that, I'm going to do that. Just a little cloud of mist, right? It's all up to God. That's why he says, as it is, if you plan that way, you're boasting in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. See the power of that? When we make plans without reference to God, James says, it's boastful arrogance, and that's evil. Now, we've all done that this last week. I would guess. I have. And, and you have. I don't, probably not intentionally for you, but, but we've done it. Where God has not been in our minds. I'm going to go do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go do this. We, we've all done that. We all need to work on this, don't we? So, if we've all done this, and James says it's evil, what should we do? So here's, here's the beauty of Jesus Christ. He is standing before you right now with his arms wide open, just like we sang earlier. And if you will turn to him and confess, yes, I've, I've made plans this last week that have been boastful and that have been arrogant. If you'll confess that to him, meaningfully from the heart, you'll be assured of complete forgiveness because of what he did on the cross. You'll be assured, oh, I'm forgiven. Yes, God, you are rejoicing over me to do me good. You are pleased with me because of what Jesus did. You'll be completely forgiven. And then when you ask him, now, Jesus, please help me to be more humble. Help me to be more aware that you are in complete control of everything. Help me to make my plans with reference to you. Help me to say more often, if the Lord wills, he will help you. He will help you. You will find yourself thinking that way more. You'll find yourself talking that way more. God will become more central to your reality. And that's what we all want to grow in. So let's take some time and do that right now. Let's have the worship team come on up. But let's pray. I want to lead us. Let's confess any humble, I mean, excuse me, any proud arrogance, boastful arrogance we've had in our planning. Let's confess that before the Lord. Let's be assured of forgiveness, and then let's ask him to help us. Let's stand. I want to pray this over us. Father, I pray that you'd work in each of our hearts right now. We want to come before you and ask you to forgive us for the times when we have made plans and have assumed that we were in control, that we chart the course of our lives and have cut you out of the picture. We ask you to forgive us for that, Lord. We don't want to be boastful. We don't want to be arrogant. We want to be humble and truthful. So please forgive us because of what Jesus did. Forgive us right now, I pray. And Lord, I pray that you work in our hearts so that we would be more aware of how, God, you are in control of everything. Help us to see that more clearly, that we're just little mists. You call us to plan, and you do bless those plans many times, but, but we need to rely on you. It's if the Lord wills. So Lord, help us to depend upon you more, to be more humble before you, and to speak that humble dependence more. 
meaningfully from the heart. So help us grow in that so that we will be humbled, so that our faith will be strengthened, and so that you will be glorified. I pray that you would put this upon Grace Church, Lord, right now, by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Let's worship the Lord.